Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with your latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened Monday night on Raw as well as some stragglers Friday night from SmackDown as we discuss everything that happened this past week in the world of WWE, including, of course, Fallout from WWE Night of Champions. Vintage Chris Vanini, your co-host on this ride, will be along momentarily, but the Silver King would be remiss if I did not begin the show with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a few extra moments. Leave a five-star written review, because if you do, we're going to read it live right here on the show. And we got two new five-star reviews this past week. First, great podcast exclamation point from Slim Slimmington. Hey, guys, love the podcast. I agree with all your takes, but Silver King, I would keep an open mind that CM Punk could come back and wrestle the elite for the Wembley Stadium show. I mean, none of us saw Cody losing at WrestleMania, but it happened. Thanks for all the content, Silver King. Uh, sure, my mind is open to it, and now it is closed to that. Uh, let's go to the second review. No, I'm just kidding. I really appreciate the review. Uh, our second review from Milwaukee, Mike Drop. His title actually was so long it got cut off. Best unbiased, spoiler-free wrestling podcast. In a world where it may be unpopular opinion to admit you are a fan of pro wrestling, Adam and Chris are here to be the friends you want to hypothesize with. They bring multiple podcasts per week, breaking down the action on televised wrestling, and then give additional insights to what may or may not happen going forward without any quote-unquote insider information. They give very clear-cut opinions on quote what works or quote what doesn't work in the world of wrestling, as if you were talking with your buddies at the bar about last night's show, in addition to instant recaps for major events as they happen. They recognize and acknowledge talents at all levels, even though Adam has a history and ongoing dislike for LA Knight, who will one day prove him wrong. (laughs) Subscribe to this. How is this a thing? I hate this. Uh, Subscribe to this pod. It's a great recap if you missed a show and also a show enhancer with thoughts after the fact to get your brain thinking towards the next future storyline. Stop being a mark for wrestling and start being a mark for getting over wrestling podcast. Well worth the listen in all caps. Wow. Uh, Milwaukee mic drop. You just dropped the mic, man. That was a great review. Uh, I have two issues with your review, of course. One, I do not dislike LA Knight. I know it's a gimmick at this point, but I don't dislike him. Yeah. And number two, we actually do give you some inside information. We just don't make the entire podcast about it. But I nevertheless very much appreciate that review. Yes, thank you very much. I love that. Always love to hear those. Um, just any type of feedback, anytime we get it on Twitter or reviews or anything is uh, just really great. So I really appreciate uh, the people who take the time to do that. Yeah. And to Chris's point, you can reach us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that. We also do pre and post show polls surrounding major events and live shows on Twitter spaces as well. But if you want to send DMs to the show, ask questions, provide comments that we will read on air. If you have submissions for the last word, you can also do that on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And by the way, you can also reach us individually as well. Chris's handle at Chris Vanini, V-A-N-N-I-N-I, and myself at Silverstein Adam. Unfortunately, my name in the proper order was taken, but S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N, and of course, Adam. So that's all three of the Twitter handles on this show. 
Also, do not forget. I happen to love the number five. So if you can't get enough of us just from these podcasts, you can become an official Getting Overhead for $5 a month over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus audio, news posts, some of that insider information uh, that Milwaukee Mike Drop was just talking about. All at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And more important than that, you support the show. All right, Chris, that was probably one of our longest introductions ever coming off our last show, which was the shortest introduction ever. Nevertheless, I am excited to break down everything that happened in WWE inside and around Night of Champions over the last week. Let's go ahead and kick off this show with a second look at WWE Night of Champions, which is what we always do coming out of a premium live event. Then, of course, folks, we'll get to the main event the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we'll wrap things up as we do on this show with the last word. Now, I have a number of takes here, Chris, so anything I say that you just want to weigh in on, just interrupt, and I'll stop talking. You know, it's difficult for me to do that, but I will, Um, and we'll get your take on it as well. Uh, To my delight, I thought, opening the show, they got rid of that really dumb part of Seth Rollins' entrance that they tried a couple times on television where they would cut the music short and then, like, signal the fans, now is time for you to sing for him. It was much better at both Night of Champions and Monday Night on Raw, where they just kept playing the song, letting the fans sing. And then when the song naturally ended, the fans continued to sing. I thought that was a huge improvement. The uh, new World Heavyweight Championship, I think it looks great on Rollins, better than it did just kind of sitting on the stand. I have one positive and one negative about it, and I'm curious about your take. The positive is it has clasps, not the Velcro, and it has the full-size straps, not the circumcised shit that the women's titles and now for some reason, the intercontinental title have that make them look idiotic. I can't even understand why they did that. But the negative, I just think it would look much better if the logo and the globe were all gold and not silver. I'm not suggesting it looks bad, but they did it to make the logo stand out. Instead, for me, it just clashes with the rest of the design. Yes, uh, I I did like some of the detail they explained on the title and what's on it. This is not the big gold belt. No. Um, It's got the McMahon stuff on there, lions, wings, all kinds of stuff. Um, so I, I did appreciate that, but it does really clash between like a historic belt with a big old current sharp WWE logo. It, it's the design's kind of, it's okay. Like it's like a B plus looking title. Yes. It definitely does look better on somebody than it does just sitting on a podium. And I do think also just when it comes to like the WWE championship and the universal championship, I know people hate it. They're like, it's heavy branding for WWE. You point out all the time that, WWE, one of the reasons they changed it was when Aaron Rodgers wore the big gold belt on the podium or the uh, celebration stand or whatever after winning the Super Bowl and WWE got no branding out of it. So they changed the belt and now everything that they do is they send those belts to every championship team. That way their logo is part of every celebration. It's really smart. But from the day it was introduced, I have always liked the title. I know there's people who think that a title should be all gold, like the World Heavyweight Championship, like the AEW Championship, the old big gold belt. But I like the look of the WWE, the Universal, the Raw Women's, and the SmackDown Women's. I always have. Agree. I, I definitely like, like those. And similarly, I like the old UFC belts that kind of looked like this World Heavyweight belt more than the oh, current yeah. UFC belts. The current ones look like toys. They look ridiculous. Yeah, which is interesting because they kind of went in the same direction of WWE, sort of. But mm-hmm. I think it works a lot better with WWE. For sure. All right. Also, I wanted to shout out one of the fans at Night of Champions who had legitimately perfect Oscar face paint. It was a dude, but he had the perfect face paint on. I noticed him in the crowd all match. So credit to him. Uh, not a new take coming out of Night of Champions. The finish to that Oscar match was really badass. 
Like I watched it back a couple times just to finish. And I was like, man, this was so freaking smart and such a great way for Bel Air to lose. I'm really curious, of course, what she's going to say on Friday. The new uh, verbal introduction to Trish Stratus's entrance, it just feels like forced. It doesn't belong. I'm never going to get used to it. They did it at Night of Champions. They did it again on Raw. Not for me. Um, Becky Lynch's. Yeah, I think they're trying to. I think. I think they're trying to figure out because they do the laugh, but the laugh isn't doesn't really catch on. So it's just I don't. I think they're just trying something different. But it's like one thing, like burn it down, short phrase. This is like eight words. <laughs> it's 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 so weird yeah. to to start you know uh, a song like that. So I don't know. It just it bothers me. Uh, Becky Lynch's sell on the chick kick was amazing. It was like she got knocked out cold. The finishing sequence of that match was done incredibly well, including I noticed. Trish rolled underneath the referee's legs to cause the distraction that allowed Zoe Stark to take out Becky. And then in rewatching it, I got this wrong on the um, instant reaction. Becky actually got her nose busted open on the Stratisfaction, the final move of the match, not the Z360, mm. because Zoe's knee actually hit her in the chest. So yeah, her face just planted on the canvas on that finishing move, which led to it looking bloody and her looking like the bride, uh, Beatrix Kiddo, at the end. Uh, and this is one of those rare occasions also where you see someone develop an NXT. And when you see them develop, you're like, man, she really reminds me of X. And then they call them up to the main roster and they actually pair them with the person that they directly <laughs> remind you of. So I'm happy for Zoe and Trish. We'll talk more about them a little bit later. But Chris, before we keep going here to the rest of the show, let's get to the results of our Lita and Trish Stratus poll as discussed on our instant reaction podcast. Now we asked all of you our getting overheads. Who is the biggest star, not just period, but specifically in WWE Lita received 28% of the votes with Trish getting a whopping 72%. Now, normally I would not crow about being so clearly correct here. I'm a magnanimous host, a magnanimous silver King, except one of you tweeted us early Sunday, about the answer saying, it's so clearly Lita. And Chris felt the need to make a big deal about one person's opinion on Twitter that he tagged me in it and, and made sure to respond to it. So to that, no, Chris. I just, I didn't tag you in it. Well, you felt I the need. Replied. You were already tagged. You, you felt the need to say, see, see, I'm right. I'm right. From one person's opinion. All I said was see. All I said was see. Before That's the poll was even published and before you got your ass absolutely handed to you, 7228. So to that, Chris. I say to you, acknowledge me. So I didn't look at the results uh, beforehand because I wanted to be surprised by this. <laughs> I, you tweeted at me. I'm sorry, you texted me when you put the poll up and said, don't retweet it. Don't try to rig it or whatever. So I, I, well, I left. Only because, let me be but clear. I, you, I, have, you have like no, 10 times it's, it's more totally followers I, I than I do. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. You have way more followers than I do. So yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, that was totally fine. Um, but I, I didn't. You texted me about the poll. I didn't want to say it because you'd already tweeted the poll. You phrased it as who is the bigger star in WWE. Yeah. And right now that would be Trish. The argument I was oh, making. Oh, come on. It's was that in the was that in the was that in the attitude era and ruthless aggression, that period, late nineties to early two thousands, Lita was the bigger star. Okay, well and look, the the poll the poll was very overwhelming. I I, I can't say one word of the poll, one word of the question would have really changed it. I'm very surprised by the results of that poll. Just completely anecdotally all the responses I got on Twitter from people just offhandedly commenting all agreed it was Lita. So that was quite a stark 
difference uh, there. But I no, saw I, that too. I, I have yeah. to completely acknowledge. I have to completely acknowledge. Poll was overwhelmingly to Trish, and I was very surprised by it. So I agree. I probably should have said was slashes would probably have been more appropriate. But I will tell you this: the four responses that we got to the poll where people replied to it, even though we just wanted you to vote. Uh, Greg Heminger said when Chris said Lita was bigger, so matter of factly, I was perplexed. That was never really my impression. Lita's biggest run was a sidekick to Edge and the Hardys. As athletic as she was, her status was never what Trish's was. So he thought it was past. Then Joshua Johnson came in. Personally, Lita was my favorite wrestler growing up. What hurt her most was every time she got momentum, she got injured. CJ Pierre said, mm-hmm. uh, I remember Lita's moments way more than I remember Trish's. So he's talking past also. Lita's feud with China, her matches with Victoria were better. For the longest time, Trish was stuck as the eye candy manager doing bra and panties matches. Then Lita added rated R stuff. And lastly, Brett Charles Malam. I think Lita influenced more wrestlers, but Trish was the bigger star. And that, I think, is the key to the entire argument. Trish was the bigger star. She was a bigger deal. The crowd reacted more to her as an individual rather than the moves that she did in the ring. I think people forget, and we interviewed Trish on the podcast you know, a month or two ago, uh, like she was involved in major stories with the men that were about her rather than about being along with the men. She was also involved in storylines like that, but she was the centerpiece of that Chris Jericho and Christian feud that never got to finish because one of them got injured. And she was involved in so many other things, stuff with Mr. McMahon. Again, yes, you're right. You know, she was down on her knees in the ring at one point, barking like a dog. And I think she may have made out with him at one point. And some of these other things that wouldn't really fly today. But Trish was always the bigger deal. And she was always treated like the bigger deal. But Lita, as a wrestler, I would say was way more influential. People saw Lita and said, I can be that. Whereas Trish wasn't, she didn't look that different from many of the WWE women that preceded her. I, I maybe it's just my take though, but I like I to me Lita the react. Yes, she was the sidekick for the Hardys, but like that was part of the deal. She oh yeah, I, I helped think that point. Like yeah, for sure. In the, the the people that she influenced and that kind of stuff, I think that maybe that's kind of uh, where I'm coming from a bit more. But uh, look, the the poll was was overwhelming. I I, I can't deny it. Um, so there we go. So what you're I'm saying? Glad we did that. I'm glad we had that react. We agree on so many things. We do, yeah. I'm glad we did that, and I'm glad we got the listeners involved. We need to do that more often. Really, what you're trying to say, though, is... Acknowledge! Acknowledge! Big acknowledgement right there! Acknowledge! And I appreciate that. Uh, Lastly, before we get to the rest of the show, uh, usually when I regrade matches here, like after a second watch, it's a quarter point. It's something insignificant. My grade on the main event, and many of you told me this. I got like three or four DMs about it. My grade on the main event was way off. Like, I must have been way too focused on, like, the storytelling and everything else that was going on, writing my notes to appreciate the wrestling in the match. I'm going all the way up to 4.5 stars and an A for the main event. The biggest adjustment I've ever made watching something a second time. The extended storyline finish somehow made me forget the match quality that like preceded it. The stunner spear sequence was sick. Sami Zayn also got the first, I think, ever counter of the Samoan spike with Reigns getting that great broken fall that followed it after the Huluva kick. Both the referee spot and the faces using Reigns' offense against him. That was all cool. Roman was again here at the top of his game. The way he worked the crowd to hate him all match. He kept showing his arrogance. All that brought out even more emotion from fans and viewers after they got that finish. And the way that Jimmy sold his emotional pain, super kicking Reigns, was 
phenomenal with that guttural yell, mm-hmm. just kind of putting it over the top. And then you had Roman's selling at the end after it was all over, just being straight up broken, seemingly shattered by this defeat, looking up at Sammy and KO as well, you know, sh- you know, showing those titles and, and bragging over him. It seemed like it left his ego in pieces. And he told all of that just with his facial expressions. It was an absolute masterclass from Roman Reigns in that match. So I just wanted to give him extra credit and I wanted to give all the wrestlers extra credit. I, I also wanted to go back to the, the Jimmy thing. And it's like, it was, it was similar yet different than the Sammy turn at the rumble because Sammy was, he's unsure. He's unsure. He finally turns on Romans and he just sits there and then he gets kicked. Jimmy kicks Roman out of the blue, but then to do it a second time to like, solidify like no like we're doing this like was so good and and, and saying like to, J- to jay i would never do you like that all this kind of stuff stuff that you could tell was he's like basically like i'm doing this for you man mm. like i have to take this step i just thought that was such a a great just storytelling part there and again jimmy's been in the background for a long time but it totally fit his character and everything brought it all back together and yeah that finish was just electric and different from the Sammy one. And I think we need to remember it that way too. Uh, I also like said it as part of the recap, but I didn't spend time on it. Uh, Jay breaking the fourth wall and breaking kayfabe and screaming Joe at Reigns was like awesome. I mean, it, it just was yeah. one of those extra little nuggets where if you're a smart fan, quote unquote, that you hear that and you're like, oh, wow, that's so cool that they did that. You know, like most people won't even pick up on it. Most of the like general, you know, casual fans. But like to hear that was really cool. And we obviously got no developments for this storyline on Monday because they're not on the show. But they did show clips three times. And I did remember something and also notice something. The first, I remembered that Reigns dedicated that match to Afa and Sika. And the second thing that I noticed was the 1,000 day celebration that's coming Friday on SmackDown. It's going to be on the anniversary of when Seth Rollins turned on The Shield, June 2nd. So I'm starting to wonder if what we've kind of lightly talked about and been curious about, and at one time was apparently booked for TV, if the rest of the bloodline, meaning the elders, Rikishi, guys like that, actually get involved because that could really get crazy yeah i i I mean thinking back to remember it was that hell in the cell match when roman beat jay uh with 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 jimmy and the the i quit and stuff like that that um they came out and presented roman with the with the necklace Mm -hmm. that he wears that was two years ago um, at this point that was a long time ago yeah yeah, well, almost three years ago. That was 2020. That's wild. Um, yeah. So, like, just thinking back to the, the family stuff and all that, um, bringing them back into it. Yeah, so um, it has been such a fascinating look at their family this entire time. And now we're going to, I think, step into a whole other dynamic of it. Yeah, I think, you know, that was the end of an act, perhaps, what we got. Uh, and now this is the third act. And the question is, is there only going to be three or is there going to be four? And it's going to be really interesting to find that out. One other item I want us to briefly consider before we move on. Uh, We talked about how the bloodline might end. We've talked about that all the time, but not what might happen after it ends. And seeing that there's this triumvirate that's been created with Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Solo Sokoa, plus the way Paul has been talking to Solo recently and talking him up, giving him a nickname, 
calling him the Sultan of the Spike, all that type of stuff. I'm starting to wonder if eventually Heyman actually leaves Reigns, maybe even turns on him for Sokoa one day, let's say sooner than later and inside the next 12 months. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really like the commentary talked about Paul Heyman's connection with the family uh, during the entrance. It just really added to it again, the Samoan SWAT team, all that stuff. And so, you know, that's really the next step of this is Solo is going to be put in the middle here. Does he side with his brothers? Does he side with Roman? Do we do a four-way bloodline match or something like that at some point? Um, and Heyman's going to have to make a choice too when that happens. So right. there's a lot that can still be told with the story. It's been almost three years, and yet it feels like there's so much more they can do. Yeah, it does. It feel, like I said, it feels like we're entering almost a new act. And the question is how many acts are remaining? And we will find that out going forward in the land of WWE. All right, we have plenty of show left, Chris. Some will say we have the entire show still to go. Let's kick it off as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And we're actually going to operate with a triple main event today, mostly because there was not one bigger story that transposed the entire episode where you had to say, oh, this was clearly the most important thing that happened on the show. So let's kick things off the way we're all kicked off with Seth Rollins making his first entrance as world heavyweight champion. He went through the crowd shield style. He was dressed down. He got pyro streamers an extended chant from the crowd. Loud. You deserve it. Cheers. Rollins put himself over as champion. He said, I want to be here and I will always be ready to fight. AJ Styles then entered and acknowledged that he was supposed to only be on SmackDown saying he was only there to congratulate Seth after giving him 100% in that match and that Rollins didn't deserve the title. He earned it. Rollins extended a hand, and right as he did, Judgment Day interrupted with Finn Balor feigning as if the babyface stuff was making him sick to his stomach. They said they run the entire WWE now that the bloodline has imploded, even beating the undisputed tag team champions, unlike Roman Reigns was able to do. They said any of them could beat Rollins for the titles, including Dominic Mysterio, which made the faces cackle, which was a really funny moment. It led to an obvious tag team match with Seth going back to using the term Monday Night Rollins. Backstage, Adam Pierce was on the phone with Triple H. He acknowledged the match completely flies in the face of the brand split, but he said it was too good to pass up. Rollins and Styles bantered about, and eventually everyone came to an agreement to do it. Definitely a hot start to Raw. Yes, it is frustrating that there's a full WWE brand split. Unless you get a guest passed, unless you're part of a women's tag team, or you want to say congratulations to somebody. Now, I'm kind of just being sarcastic because, look, there's a roster full of talent they could have used to tag with Rollins. But WWE at least acknowledging the circumstances here, just like with Paul Heyman getting that guest pass, it's the exact opposite of what would have happened a year ago. They would have just done it, glossed over, and just said, oh, he's from SmackDown, and who cares, and F you. This did make sense in kayfabe, given it was an all babyface title match at Night of Champions, and it was smart booking for WWE getting an extra big name on the show for the first and last segment because they were going against a huge NBA Game 7. So it's one of those things where, like, I'll compartmentalize it, but if this shit keeps happening, then it's going to get immensely frustrating. So, like, I don't, want to, I don't want this to turn into a whole rant, but, like, this draft, it's just... It's been largely bullshit. And 
you have AJ coming over here. You have Raw and SmackDown women's titles on opposite brands. You have the tag team champions jumping between brands because they're on the same thing. You've well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me pause. Let me pause real quick. The titles being on the wrong brands, it's a huge issue. But that has nothing. That's not a problem with the brand split. Like they're not. I, I, Bianca's I, I'm not showing like up on in Raw. Total. I'm. I'm saying in total, this draft has been bullshit because like so, what it was supposed to do has barely happened. There's guys. There's people on different rosters fighting, but like there's very little divide between them, and still so many loose ends that they have to tie up. And it's been literally. It was supposed. It went into place a month after ago. backlash. Yeah, a month ago. Yeah. We're, we're 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 through another pay-per-view and we still haven't figured these things out like that's like that's the problem so you just add this on top of it and it's like i'm not taking i'm not taking this draft seriously or any sort of brand but seriously because there's no reason for me to think that because of what they presented now at maybe at, at some point they have to figure out what to do with the women's titles at some point they will do some of this stuff but like to say that was like all right backlash is when after backlash is when it goes into effect and it just like barely has and so like it was nonsense so like in the end like we'll get into the match and everything here and uh, yes they did acknowledge that aj shouldn't be doing this so credit to them for at least trying to cover for the thing that they put themselves in <laughs> right but, like because it's wrestling and it's, I, they I, get I to decide just, yeah <laughs> yes it was right. they decided to do that. they decided so, to like, do it right <laughs> ultimately like look you get you get Seth versus you get Seth and AJ versus Judgment Day. You're doing a tag match, NBA Game Seven. Like it's fine. Like I get it, and I, we'll get into what happened. But like I generally thought everything was fine. But like I just really thought this was a missed opportunity. One day after you crown the world heavyweight champion, when the idea is not that he's going to have an open challenge every week, but like he's going to defend this title, I would have loved if he. If he put the title on the line the day after he two days after he won it and he fought Dominic Mysterio, it's a match that, you know, he's not going to lose, but it's a it's a bit of a fresh matchup. Dominic is getting more heat than anybody else in the company, so much so he's even being referenced on AEW on Sunday and you do. All right, we got a title match tonight. And, you know, Seth's not going to lose, but you want to see that it should be interesting. Instead, we do tag team match. And I just I thought it was a missed opportunity to further emphasize what this title is going to be at a time when a lot of us don't have much leaf in that title. So, like, I mean, speak for yourself, what happened and it was fine. We'll get into what happened and it was it was fine. Like I, I liked what happened, but I felt like if you just like made a little tweak like that, it would have made everything so much better. Yeah, I don't agree with, you know, you're trying to say that this title matters and then you just throw Dominic Mysterio a title match. Like, I, I just don't agree with that at all. I, I actually don't agree with 75% of what you just said. Like, I, I am in agreement that the draft hasn't been, the split has not been as clean as it should have been. But I did not have a problem with Paul Heyman getting a guest pass, both in kayfabe and reality, because they were promoting a huge match that they needed to promote on both shows because there is a tag team only one set of men's and women's, but men's tag team champions that do go on both shows because they have both titles. So like in kayfabe and in reality, that all makes sense to me. The Shotzi deal working with Raquel Rodriguez, they were former partners and her teammate got injured and they're doing a women's tag team title match where there's only so many women and so many teams. So 
So again, I didn't really have a problem that with that. Fine. That, that didn't have a problem that, with that, that either. Fine, but you know, but, but you, the way you're talking about it, brands. the way you're talking about it though, is that as if they've shattered the entire thing already, they, they really haven't. The first true for me mark of the brand split not being followed, like in, in a real way, was this, was AJ Styles showing up because I wanted to say congratulations and then getting in a match because I'm there and I happen to have my gear. Like that directly flies in the face of a brand split. The other ones I didn't have a problem with. And then you mentioned the women. Yes, uh, it's a worth a huge amount of criticism, no doubt about it, that these titles are still on opposite brands and they haven't come up with anything or even if they have. And I've, I'm told that there is a plan with these titles and it required Bianca Belair losing before they could do it. Fine, but she lost. It is now Monday night on Raw. These titles are still on the wrong brands. That's a problem, but that's not a draft problem. That's a creative problem. So I look at it as this was the first like dent in the brand split, the fact that AJ was here, but it also, and I'm going to criticize it for that, but Chris, I'm also, and you didn't mention it at all, it also made for a fantastic opening segment that was funny, that worked, it made total sense. And then we'll talk mm -hmm. about it right now in a moment. It made for an incredible main event as well. It was. No, it was a good segment. It was a good main event. Like, I didn't have a problem with any of that. I just I, I just felt like, you know, like, I'm Seth Rollins. I'm here. I'm the champion. I'm going to defend this title because Roman Reigns doesn't defend his. Judgment Day, you interrupted me. You know, one of you, someone step up and fight me. And then maybe the four of them, like, discuss it. And then, like, Rhea makes the final decision and says Dominic gets it and, 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 and something like that. And then we go, oh, we got that coming up. And, like, and, and, and so, like, a title that's going to be defended is sort of half is the point of this title. Mm. So it would have been cool to see it. It could, it would have been cool to see it defended again. Again, I didn't hate what they did. I just thought like, man, that would have been a really hot way to, 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 to continue the momentum of the weekend instead of just tag team match, the title and fun, but ultimately, ultimately completely meaningless. The title being defended is only half of it though. The other half is the title being present and the champion being present on Raw, which has not happened. Mm -hmm. Reigns has made, I think, five, maybe, appearances on Raw since winning the Raw Championship, the WWE Championship. Like, the, the point is, yeah, it needs going to be defended more often, no question. But it doesn't need to be defended two nights after the guy won it. We needed the champion on the show being present, showing the title, and what we've talked about, creating that main event division on Raw, which has been lacking for most of the last two years. Now that division is back. They need to start creating superstars to say, okay, we know Cody's there. We know Brock is a main eventer. They need to start developing others that they say are at this level. And I think the down part of Raw was not that he didn't defend the title, but they didn't start making that division. They didn't take Finn Balor and say, yeah. okay, we're going to give Finn a singles match, allow him to win it and start elevating him. They did it with a couple people in the Money in the Bank sure. qualifiers. Shinsuke got a win, you know, et cetera. I don't want to spoil everything. Um, but that's what this show should have been about. Elevating people from that upper mid card or into the upper mid card. That way they had the ability to challenge for the title. But it was one night. They were going up against an NBA game seven. My guess is they figured, hey, you know what? We're going to really struggle from a ratings perspective. Let's just put on a fun, entertaining show. And we'll worry. We have plenty of time to get to money in the bank. We'll worry about the next rest of the stuff next week. That's my guess of what they did. Um, one of our long-term yeah, listeners, Black Sabre Jr., had a great tweet that 
Uh, Chelsea Green should have interrupted at the end of Pierce's phone call and or maybe stolen the phone so she could finally speak to his manager. I thought it was a massive missed opportunity and a really funny comment uh, by him. Later backstage on Raw, Rhea Ripley talked about destroying Natalia, saying that she should have known better. The guys refused to answer who would be in the tag team match at the end of the night. And I figured, Chris, coming out of the obliteration of Natty, that Rhea would start a new course with the title, even if she didn't get a challenger right away. Or perhaps they would indicate some direction for the actual championship, given what you said, they're still on opposite brands. And we just got none of that on Raw. Like, since winning the title, Ripley has had a popular but still very lightly booked feud with Zelina Vega, an empty feud entirely with Natty. And now she had a chance to do something coming out of that, and it's nothing. She's still talking about Natty. She needs to be looking strong and dominant. There's plenty of time, and nothing is ruined yet. But they need to get going with Rhea Ripley at this point. Yeah, I mean, her her biggest strength continues to be her presence in the Judgment Day and how tough she looks along with them, the heat they get with Dominic. That continues to be her biggest strength, but her on her own as a wrestler, there's still a lot of growth that needs to be done there, and they need to come up with some big feuds for her, and that hasn't happened yet. Just like with Seth, they need to create challengers for her, believable challengers, and the way to do that is to let the women wrestle and win and look strong. So that way, by the time she fights them, you say, oh, maybe they'll actually beat her. But they're not doing that. Uh, okay, so let's go to the main event, Rollins and Styles against Balor and Priest. They tease the question of who would be the Judgment Day representatives in the match all show. It paid off with Dom in the ring, and then Balor catching Rollins blind at the bell. Seth slid out of the ring and put his arm around Rhea in a callback to Shawn Michaels and Melina from back in the day. That popped me. Uh, AJ got his hands on Dom mm-hmm. outside, only to get pounced over the announce table by Priest in a really sick spot. Rhea and Dom got ejected late for interfering. Rollins hit a superplex with Priest, countering Falcon Arrow into a broken arrow, which was awesome. Ballard tagged blind and missed a coup de gras with Seth hitting a super kick. There was a really cool spot where Styles had to give up trying a phenomenal forearm because Priest was on the other side of the ring. So he jumped and rolled in the ring with Priest catching him off the roll for a razor's edge. And then while he was going for the pin, Priest ate a stomp blind out of nowhere from Rollins. But Rollins was illegal. So he ran back to the other side of the ropes. Styles tagged him in, and then he hit a second stomp on Priest, getting the win in what was an extremely hot main event match. Now, I'm glad Rollins is champion, and Styles being on Raw, you know, it ultimately worked out for a really good match. But my immediate thought coming out of this was, holy shit, these guys would be a straight-up incredible tag team. Like, two-man power trip (laughs) style. They were, pun intended, freaking awesome. That would be their name. It was fun no, as hell. Freaking freaking phenomenal. Freaking phenomenal. Freaking phenomenal. Sorry, I botched that. I had it written. I fucked it up. Let me do it again. Yeah, I know. They were, pun intended, freaking phenomenal. That would be their name. It was fun as hell finish to an entertaining show and a damn good match. Four stars, A minus. Obviously, we got the right combo in the finish. And Priest eating two stomps protected him as well. I'm fine with a one-week break before Rollins gets his first challenger. But that program, as you kind of said, needs to get going next week for sure. It was completely fun. The match was great. Um, everybody looked good. It's nice to have AJ, you know, back from injury, fully kind of reminding us who he is. You know, this is a former world champion type of guy. So it's good to see him getting back at that level and shining again. So it was all a lot of fun. It just all meant nothing in the end. And we move onward. So um 
not much more to say about that match itself other than I enjoyed it. Now let's, like you said, let's get Seth doing something now. Indeed. So let's go to the second part of our main event. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn opened hour two, crowing about winning, not just retaining the titles, but imploding the bloodline as promised. Sammy said Roman may be the greatest of all time, but none of it will matter because when he looks at them, he'll always remember that they won and he lost. Imperium interrupted, saying Gunther's win over Mustafa Ali was more impressive, which like, how do you even have that take? Uh, Owens hysterically ranted about Imperium interrupting them and not following the unwritten rules of wrestling where you have to be called out or you have to have a reason to enter. Sammy pointed out they already beat them last week. Ludwig Kaiser called them and Matt Riddle embarrassments, saying they are not worthy to hold the titles or represent Raw. KO just straight up ignored them, wondering why they never hear Giovanni Vinci speak. Kaiser then started ranting again when Chad Gable suddenly gave the longest recorded in history shoosh. He called them the new and improved Alpha Academy with Maxine Dupree wearing their colors and their logo. They wanted to fight Imperium, but KO and Sammy made him do a thank you first. And at the beginning, I was really kind of annoyed that Imperium interrupted because KO and Sammy were really picking up steam on their promo. I just wanted to hear them keep talking for another two or three minutes. But holy shit, was this segment funny, Chris. Between the fourth wall breaking, making fun of Imperium, and Vinci and giving the baby face rub to Alpha Academy, which are now fully on that side. You couldn't really ask for a lot more from this. It was basically like they took a house show segment and put it on television. It was so good and everybody looked better coming out of it. Everybody looked more at least relatable coming out of it. I'm always, you know, you, there's fourth wall breaking that can be done poorly and it can be done well. I really hate like an AW when MJF will say things like you're really bad at promos or something like that. Like that is not, that's the kind of fourth wall breaking. That's just tearing someone down and not doing anything. Fourth wall breaking in the sense of like, Hey, you're not supposed to come out yet because we didn't say your name. Like that's just funny pointing out that Giovanni uh, Vinci never talks. That's funny. And it's the most acknowledgement Vinci's ever gotten you right. know, on, the, on the main roster. Being called up. Yeah. The only thing is he, he, he looked a little, uncertain when they were talking about him. I kind of wish he just stayed more stoic like Solo Sokoa would have, but that's just a, a nitpick. Um, I thought, first off, I also uh, unrelated, Imperium, great shirts. Mm -hmm. Love those shirts. Very they cool. don't look like wrestling shirts. They look like workout shirts. Like That's the kind of shirt we need more out of wrestling. But the biggest thing, K1 Sammy here made everybody more interesting, and they that's a huge baby face rub to Alpha Academy to say like, do the thing, say the thing that you say at the end that we always yeah. love. Yeah. Thank you. Like that's, that's exactly how you help them get over as baby faces. And you, you're not, you're telling the crowd, Hey, these guys are really fun and awesome. You should be cheering for them. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's basically what you're doing. So like, this is, this is everything you want out of Kevin Owens and Sammy Zane together. And now that they are fully completely done with the bloodline, I am now finally excited again for what they can do with the rest of the tag team division. We're not doing riddle stuff. We're not doing six mans. We're doing tag team stuff. And, you know, I've been mixed on them as champions since they won at WrestleMania. But now, finally, I think we can get back into that tag team division and start elevating these teams. And that's exactly what they did. It's also clear that WWE has kind of just said to them, go out and say whatever you want and do whatever you want. Because... What we first took, you know, after they won the titles as 
are they kind of breaking up? Like they're Kevin's kind of being an asshole to Sammy in some of these backstage segments. It wasn't that it was just them being friends and giving each other shit. And like, that's how long time good friends who know everything about the other person talk to each other, especially when it comes to guys. So that is now what we're seeing on television. It's not them having animosity where they're going to split. It's just two really good friends who like love each other, but know everything about the other person and their intricacies and how they talk and their sarcasm and all that type of stuff playing off one another in public. And I think that's really cool. And, uh, in terms of and to, and to your point, you, you always say you always say Kevin Owens is the only one who seems to watch the show. And that's huge because mm-hmm. if Kevin Owens is saying what we're thinking as viewers, that just kind of puts you at ease. You feel more connected to the product. It's like, okay, they see what I'm seeing. Right. I, I trust that they see that now. And that that's that's huge. That's the right kind of fourth wall breaking. And I did like that they made the whole Vinci not talking thing a thing. And I figured, oh my God, that's going to be so fun when they eventually pay it off. Except mm-hmm. they wasted it on social media immediately after Raw. He did a whole promo and he was good. I mean, he can, he can oh. speak. But they did it. They just I didn't see that. They just gave it away. It's like that tweet where someone's like, I was, I was working on that story for two and a half years and they just <laughs> tweeted it out. They just gave it away for free. Why the hell would you do that? Build oh, it up no. for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and let the guy talk and everyone pops up when, you know, the crowd pops when he finally says something. Maybe he says two words at first. Then the next week he says a paragraph, you know, whatever the case. So I thought that was a shame. Yeah. Also, I am fully annoyed, Chris, that they cut off the maximum male model storyline and pulled Maxine from them just to be what arm candy for Otis without any storyline reason. Like it's just straight up dumb. She was recruiting him as a model and now she's just with them, not recruiting him as a model and the maximum male models are nowhere to be seen. It's a minor gripe because look, they're clearly over with the fans and they, if they believe in alpha Academy, that means they believe in Chad Gable and Otis. And that's a really good thing, especially for Chad Gable. There were talks of Gable going solo and clearly that's now not happening. I don't know why, unless they're going to have Maxine break them apart from within. Maybe I was just kind of frustrated to see her fully with them. No real explanation for it. And them just moving forward that way. Yeah, I'm not sure. And based on how the match ended, as we said, perhaps that's what they do next. But you're right. Uh, it's 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 a mixed bag because they're over as hell and it's good to see them continuing to get the shine. But they kind of never pulled the trigger on something we also thought was going well. Yeah. Now we did have Alpha Academy against Imperium. Valhalla immediately came down and got in Maxine's face, only to surprisingly eat a kick before they ran to the back. Oh, that was the first offense Maxine's done in WWE, NXT, anywhere. Uh, Otis ended up running through the ropes, eliminating himself, and Gable ate the Imperial Bomb for the Imperium win. I got to say, to my utter surprise, with four guys this talented, the match kind of sucked. There was no energy for it. The wrestling was shockingly mediocre at best. And the only fun part was KO and Sammy on commentary. It was just really disappointing as a segment coming out of what we got before that. Disappointing match, I I, I guess somewhat disappointing segment. I did like what... Uh, Kevin Owens at, at the end of commentary where he's like, great, we're never going to hear the end of this. Turtleneck is going to always talk about this. <laughs> and that's like, that's another sort of fourth wallish breaking, but like within kayfabe, like he's upset right. in kayfabe talking normally like, oh God, we, 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 we insulted Imperium and then they won. 
And instead of just like sitting there, like staring at them, they're like, ah, oh, crap, now we got to deal with this. Like that's, that's relatable. That's how normal people would react to that situation. He also, Kevin Owens is also like saying Baldy needs to wipe the sweat from his head because it's, it's so shiny. And then Vinci literally did it <laughs> right after Kevin Owens said that. I don't think he heard Kevin Owens say it. I think it was just incredible timing, but uh, that was pretty funny. And ultimately that's what generally saved the segment mm-hmm. for me was that, it was still funny at the end and we set something up to move forward. But yeah, the match was disappointing. I'm just frustrated as well. Going back to what I said a couple of weeks ago, it was ridiculously stupid for the new champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to beat Imperium on like the first or second week of their reign clean right on television, because now I have to believe the idea is for Imperium to be the ones challenging them at money in the bank, given it's going to be in Europe and Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser are both European. So it, it just makes no sense that they did that match on TV. And now seemingly you have to imagine after maybe one week, maybe two more weeks, they're probably going to become the number one contenders. Yeah, yeah. Um, Imperiums, they've kind of been in that weird middle spot where they treat them as a group that is a valuable win to get to get over, but also you kind of fear them as well. And so there's like a, a mix there. Like I, they can take a couple losses to me and still seem okay. But you're right. The fact that we did just do this less than two months ago, basically. And then we're going back to it. You're going to have to build it up. It's going to have to be more than just Imperium one there. And we're going to have to add the interpersonal dynamics dynamics. And I think we're going to get that based on yeah. the segment we yeah. got there. These two teams can play off of each other. Well, add some more animosity to it. And ultimately that's what will fuel the story, which is fine. It's just like, hey, you know, they beat them and Gunther wasn't on the show, but now Gunther's back, so they deserve a title match. Like, it just doesn't really work for me. Uh, let's move to the third part of the main event. Cody Rhodes opened hour three overall. And by the way, very smart by WWE, opening and closing with Seth, then having KO and Sammy open hour two and Cody open hour three. They just big gun, big gun, big gun for each hour. Anyway, Cody opened hour three in the sling still, saying he didn't tap out to Brock Lesnar because that's not the man he wants to be even if he would have tapped out years ago. He quoted John Cena's Never Give Up, then asked Lesnar, who he guessed was on his annual vacation, hey, are you satisfied being one-to-one against me? Cody then issued an intense open challenge to Brock, put over all of Lesnar's past accomplishments, saying he's a beast, but he's not man enough to make Cody tap out. Then he said, Brock Lesnar is afraid of what cannot be broken. Brock Lesnar is afraid of Cody Rhodes. He also had a really funny line in there about knowing Brock probably wasn't watching, but not sure how he'd find out if he had like dial up internet or fax or whatever the case, given he kind of lives just in the middle of nowhere. Now, look, this was another expert level promo from Cody. No doubt about that. Okay. But he also cut the entire thing while in a sling wearing a cast. And he did not once address the fact that his arm is still broken and clearly suffered more damage in the match. Mm -hmm. Is he cleared? Can he actually wrestle if Brock shows up next week? If not, when? If Brock shows up, is he going to wrestle with the broken arm just as he did last time? What the hell is he going to do after that? What's he going to do between now and the Lesnar match? Is he going to show up on TV just goading him every week? I could not understand why they did not address the injury, which was announced Saturday as an injury that I Googled it is at least a three-month recovery in reality yet it's not even being addressed. And they might even fight in a month at Money in the Bank. As strong as Cody's promo was, and it was strong. The crowd was hot. 
He came across amazing. He knocked it out of the park. The lack of storytelling about this kayfabe injury bothered me immensely, as you can tell. Yeah, that was my biggest issue, was that we talked about it on the instant reaction. You had a broken arm, and it certainly got hurt even more. So, like, you theoretically should be out longer. Or are we just going with Cody can fight no matter how broken his arm is because Triple H said it was okay? He'll he'll just fight through a broken arm for three months, and then it'll be healed one day? Yeah, yeah, I... If you're going to introduce the broken arm, you have to, you know, have details ready for that, a follow up ready on that. It was the basis for the whole fight. And you just kind of don't address that part of it. That was annoying. Um, Cody also issuing an open challenge to Brock, as he put it. It's not really an open challenge. It's it's just mm. a challenge. I, I mean, it could, yeah. it could happen at any time, but it's still just a, a challenge. Open challenge means open to anybody it's open it's only open to brock so it's not really i would open. argue it's just challenge a different definition of open challenge i would just because an open challenge is a real open challenge is right now i'm in the ring come fight me so you know the time and place but you don't know the opponent it's a different version of an open challenge to say i know the opponent and i'm ready for you any time and place you decide so i don't have a problem with yeah. that terminology personally I just think the the word, it, it, considering we were getting that in AEW at the same time too. With no, AEW is different. AEW is different. AEW right. is here's an open challenge, and then they make the match right. for the show a day or two before. It's like that doesn't make any sense. That's, yeah, I just that's totally different. I, well, yeah, I think I think the term is kind of being thrown around a bit too much. But but anyway, it, it was overall very solid promo, and crowd was so behind Cody in that. That was some of the most over he'd been for a raw in a while, and he, he was so. He's so good at this. He when he he lists he he's doing such a good job of building himself as the babyface, like fan by fan, town by town. He'll go to this show, house shows. I'm here. Brock's not here. Roman's not here. He always tweets out the cities that he's going to. Every mm-hmm. single city, including the house shows. Here's where I'm going to be for the next two weeks. Come see me. He does in that promo. He lists uh, Wilkes Bear. And all these medium kind of like B-level towns that WWE is going to. Oh, you're about to get some Twitter hate. You're about to get some Twitter hate for that. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm not the one shitting on Lafayette, Louisiana, like somebody else in this podcast. F Lafayette, Louisiana. F Lafayette, Louisiana. Go ahead. He's he's reaching out to every fan ever. It's I'm not I'm going to be in Boston, Chicago, New York, whatever. Come see me. No, it's. Yeah, you're in that city that doesn't always get the biggest show. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you here and there. And that is so valuable as a babyface to become a champion of the people. And, you know, as he rebuilds himself to get back into the uh, undisputed championship picture at some point, he's really laying the groundwork. He does all the pictures. He does the weight belts and all that stuff. There's so many little things that Cody does. He's such a good wrestling businessman and that's why he was able to help start AEW and that's why he has positioned himself as the top face in WWE and I just wanted to point that out because by doing that in that promo I think was just masterful and it's an example of why he's just so incredibly smart at this whole pro wrestling thing yeah Chris you absolutely nailed it right there on Cody he's just operating at the top of his game right now before we get out of the main event and move on to the rest of the show WWE while we were taping the podcast just released a graphic, a a link to buy tickets for all of Roman Reigns' forthcoming appearances between now and SummerSlam. So from June 2nd until SummerSlam on August 5th, Reigns will be on every SmackDown except 
four. So it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six of 10 SmackDowns he will be appearing on. Uh, some of the individual ones, not much of a surprise, except Chris, he's not listed on the go home SmackDown for SummerSlam, which seems really strange. Maybe it's not confirmed yet, or maybe they're going to tape an interview or a backstage segment, and he's just not going to be there live. But that is surprising, in my opinion, at least, that he's not on that one. The rest of them, though, show that he's going to be on a bunch of major shows in major cities. He's going to be also on two house shows, super shows, in Cincinnati, Ohio on June 17th and Mexico City on July 22nd. And he will be on SmackDown from New York City. I don't know if they're doing it at Madison Square Garden or not, or if they're doing Barclays Center, but July 7th, he will be on that one as well. And he will be on the Go Home SmackDown before Money in the Bank from London. So he's on that Go Home for Money in the Bank. He's not as of right now for SummerSlam. But sending out this entire schedule in advance, telling people, hey, this is when, you know, Tribal Chiefs is going to be at these shows. Having people buy tickets makes a lot of sense. And I would call it maybe not a complete schedule, but a pretty damn full schedule for the summer uh, for Roman Reigns. Yes. Also, that is Madison Square Garden. I looked it up. Great. On July awesome. 7th. So That's that'll cool. be that'll be a big show. That's really cool. And they have Orlando on the 21st, which is the closest to me because WWE just refuses to come to South Florida which is immensely frustrating for yours truly and always has been. Okay, that is it for the main event. Let's go to everything else that happened across Raw and SmackDown this week. You know it, you love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, let's start with this women's tag team picture on SmackDown. We had Raquel Rodriguez and Shotzi against Bailey and Io Sky. Shotzi had a real nice hot tag with a lot of offense. Io distracted, allowing Bailey to rake her eyes, but Shotzi came back with a double underhook German suplex on Io. The finish was a bit convoluted. But Bailey tried a sunset flip powerbomb on Raquel while Io jumped over her to hit a missile dropkick on Shotzi. While doing so, Rodriguez sat down on Bailey for the one, two, three, and Io was going for her fall simultaneously, I guess not realizing that she wasn't legal or something like that. This went nine minutes, and again, the extra time provided not only for storytelling, but it helped Shotzi look good in her first prominent action in a while. The finish was clunky both in execution and production. And it definitely fooled me because I thought Io had tagged in and was legal, but it was a good way to establish Raquel and Shotzi together, and they needed to do that going into the women's tag team championship match. It further uh, continued putting Bailey and Io at odds with each other because they lost and screwed up in the finish. Yep. Everything made sense. Like you said, good to establish Raquel with a partner before you get into things. Um, at least in the ring. I still think there's more you could do outside the ring, but, mm -hmm. you know, is what it is. It, it was a good setup leading into the match, the, the championship match. Right, and we got that fatal four-way for the vacant title on Raw. Raquel and Shotzi, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, Bailey and Io, and Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green. Damage control, shit talk, Raquel and Shotzi in gorilla position. So Raquel just shot back like, we just beat you. And Bailey, you're the loser of the group. I mean, that's... That's straight facts. They did just beat them. So why were they even talking shit? Uh, this was the mid-show feature match with uh, unfortunate rules of only two legal women at once. There was an audible excitement for Rodriguez and Rousey when they went face-to-face. -face. 
Shayna saved Ronda from the Tahana bomb, only to eat one herself. Rousey then rolled Raquel into an armbar, but Bailey broke it with a perfect flying elbow drop. It was probably one of the best of her career, actually. Fans actually chanted, thank you, Bailey, for that. Uh, Chelsea and Sonya threw Ronda into the post twice and double-teamed Raquel for a near fall. Io blind-tagged for a double springboard dropkick. Rousey tagged her on the top rope with Shotzi delivering a powerbomb superplex. Baszler interfered on the top rope, delaying a Shotzi senton attempt just long enough for Ronda to catch her while she was falling into an armbar for an immediate tap out for them to win the titles in 12 minutes. Now, nearly everything about this match was good, except the insane quickness of the finish. Shotzi tapped out way too fucking fast. I mean, it was literally, I counted one second in the armbar. There is no way someone should even feel pain as fast as that, let alone enough pain to give up in a championship match. If that was her screwing up, okay, shit happens, right? But if that was a direction from whoever was the agent for the match or whoever produced it, that's a terrible direction. Shotzi looked awful right there. It didn't ruin the match, but it made her look weak as shit and it rushed a finish that should have been digestible for five, six, seven seconds because it's a title match and you want that anticipation of the bell ringing. If there's no anticipation when you're watching someone in a submission, then you barely know the person's even in a submission and the match might end. We knew Rousey and Baszler were winning. I have no problem with that because the titles will get featured more. The division should get featured more. I just wish this finish was way better than it was. Well, I, I like the finish. I just didn't like how quickly she tapped. The like execution. The, the, the way yeah. jumping off the top rope going into the armbar was actually really sweet. They had executed that really well. It was like right when you realize, oh, crap, that was so cool. Oh, it's over. Like, like, like right. that. Like, and I know like that was the thing with Ronda for a while was and as soon as she got someone in the armbar, they tap immediately because it's Ronda Rousey, you know, like that's the whole point. But Ronda Rousey has been so depowered in WWE that, yes, it should have taken a little bit more before she finally does build that anticipation from the crowd. Is she going to tap? Is she going to tap? She taps. And there you go. So, like, I, I, everything else was executed well. I really enjoyed the match. And these are the right tag team champions. And I'm really interested to see where this goes because I think there's so much potential here. Theoretically, these two badasses who used to be MMA fighters should run roughshod over the division. And maybe they do. Maybe they go on a really long reign. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be really interesting. Ronda Rousey, I know she's a champion here, but she has been pushed so far down from the top of the card compared to where she used to be that I think there's a real opportunity here for her to kind of get back a lot of respect from the fans by, you know, putting in the work, doing all this stuff over in the women's tag division and not being in the world title picture. And she could, if she puts, puts together some great work, she could really kind of turn things around in a big way where if they do decide to put her back into a world title picture, it's going to feel huge again because Ronda Rousey's not there again. She's been depowered. It's just been, it's, it's not what it, was and that's okay so i think there's a real opportunity for both of them here to uh do really good stuff as these women tag team champs i know these belts are cursed and so many bad things have happened but we're starting again and i think there's a big opportunity here again for these titles and i'm hopeful that it works out and don't forget a large part of her profile being diminished is the fact that forget the championship run that she had and how it ended with charlotte and all that but the injuries and like they they weren't able to capitalize on the momentum she had coming out of being women's champion 
moving it into this because they were telling the story. Let's not forget before WrestleMania, well before WrestleMania of Rousey and Baszler getting back together, Rousey helping Baszler become the badass that she used to be, Baszler getting her back and helping her title reign. Like this was a story they were invested in, but to no fault of their own, the wrestlers or WWE, the injuries just kept delaying it. And now they come back and it's like, well, we haven't really seen them on TV. They kind of need to be reestablished, even though Rousey is Rousey at the end of the day. I saw people clowning this. Of course, WWE gave them the titles. That's been the plan for months. So yes, of course, they gave them the titles. I really have no problem with it. I did like Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan as a team, and it would have been maybe a little bit more annoying for me if Rousey and Baszler beat Raquel and Liv because they were working as tag team champions. They were really good in the ring together. They were over with the crowd. It was great. So this is almost a better situation for them to win the titles than beating a team that people were actually into. They won them. Now they get to have that dominant reign like you're talking about. Uh, Later backstage, Rousey cut a pretty okay promo. She corrected the interviewer even while she was doing it. She called them the baddest team on the planet. I think a couple weeks ago, I said that she cut her best promo in years. This was probably her second best promo in years. And Look, the hope from me, again, is these titles get elevated, more women get elevated, more women get time on television, and you can say a lot of things about Ronda Rousey, both personally and professionally, but the one thing that is true every single time she is on screen is that the women get more time. That's a huge positive. She does deserve credit for that. It shouldn't take her being on TV for that to be the case, but it does happen, and for that reason, I don't want to say I'm excited about them being champions but I'm anticipating it to be a positive experience. Agree. All right. Trish Stratus hit the ring in her Night of Champions gear, and apparently someone taught her the word tings. Uh, She said Becky Lynch can go back in her hole so a real superstar like Zoe Stark could shine. She put Zoe over huge for her attitude and even compared her to Trish. Stark then came out in a thank you Trish shirt, and they need to sell those, by the way, because people will buy them. Uh, saying she was smart to avoid the long, hard road and instead jump the line, getting Stratus's back. They did the whole Tommy Boy bit about an enormous bruise on Trisha's face. That led Becky out, still wearing her yellow Kill Bill gear. She promised to ruin Zoe's life and challenged Trish to go, given they were both dressed. Lynch got a ton of shots on Trish, attacking her in the ring, before Stark joined and turned the tables, hitting another Z360 on Bex before Trish gave her a receipt to the jaw. Then Zoe took off her shirt, don't worry, she had something underneath, with Trish forcing Becky to pose with the shirt laying over her body in the corner. Now, I will concede, Chris, that the crowd was not overly loud for parts of this, and Trish was weaker in her promo than usual. Plus, Zoe's only okay on the mic, so it's not like she came in and saved it. But I really liked the angle they took. The Tommy Boy reference personally popped me. Becky completely delivered, and the entire beatdown was exactly what it needed to be with Lynch embarrassed and Stark looking really strong. This was an easy good. What's going to be interesting to find out is who ultimately gets Becky's back and how long it takes for that to happen. Because if you remember in like the damage control feud and other times when she was the man, she would like fight people one on three, one on two, and it would take three, four, five weeks for someone to actually get her back or for her to go find someone to have her back. And it was always ridiculous. So this maybe one more week, okay. But like two weeks from now, she needs to be finding someone else to work with her. They can do a tag match. Then they can go back to Becky and Trish. But I really liked what we got 
coming out of Night of Champions with Tristratus and Becky. Yeah, it would have been really easy to come back the next night or the next show and Becky gets the upper hand and everybody cheers and yada, but they didn't. They added more heat to it. Good segment. The the knockout punch from Trish was actually really well done. Looked like looked like felt like she really hit her. Love the gimmick of putting the t-shirt on her and all that kind of stuff. And it all made sense. And so yeah, you kind of wait, is, will somebody have um Becky's back at some point? And I'm wondering if they do somebody else from NXT or called up from NXT, like maybe Indy Hartwell, uh, who has not really done anything since coming up. Maybe she gets thrown in there. She's not really the same personality as Becky, but I'm just trying to think. Tegan Knox. It's an opportunity for somebody else. Maybe, yeah. It's an opportunity for somebody else who's newish or not established to come in uh, as well. So good stuff. To me, Tegan Knox makes all the sense in the world. She's been doing nothing. She's sitting there. She's a baby face. She's over when she wrestles. That's what I would do. I think it would be great for Zoe. It is great for Zoe. And I think it would also be great for Tegan. All right, let's move, Chris, to the Money in the Bank qualifying matches. Uh, Ricochet against The Miz was first on Raw. To our surprise, Miz hit a Hurricanrana and Springboard crossbody. Then he hit a Codebreaker off the ropes, rolling into a Spike DDT. Ricochet came back with a standing sliced bread and hit a beautiful shooting star press for the win. I got to tell you, I thought this was like a wrestling version of Like Mike, the movie where Miz put on someone else's gear or someone cloned him in like a video game and gave him someone else's moveset. When can you remember Miz doing all of that in a single match? He really stepped up to match Ricochet's skill. And this is like the third Miz match in a row that was kind of sneaky great. Like remember when John Cena entered that phase of his career where he just wanted to prove to all the haters that he could actually wrestle? That's kind of what this felt like. It was an easy good, and we obviously got the right winner in Ricochet. Yeah, and, and um, Miz even made a comment during the match about, like, did you see, like, that move I did or something like that? And, and uh, Matt Cardona tweeted during the match that Miz caught somebody on a dive for the first time in his career. <laughs> so so it, uh, it really was the Miz stepped up there. I think he the Miz always thrives in these situations where he's wrestling an internet darling and uh, tries to prove himself. And he did that here. So everything worked out. It was, you know, right finish, good match. So that's a good. The second qualifier on Raw was Shinsuke Nakamura against Bronson Reed. Nakamura tried the sliding German suplex, but Reed held onto the ropes. He was too heavy to pull down. So Shinsuke hit a drop knee to the back of his head on the apron and later executed the sliding German. Reed countered Kinshasa into a Samoan drop and a senton. Nakamura interrupted Tsunami, but ate a ripcord power slam. Then he completely dodged Tsunami and hit two Kinshasas to the back and front of Reed's head but Bronson rolled under the ropes. Shin then hit a flying knee outside with Reed breaking the count at nine, only to immediately eat a third Kinshasa for the one, two, three in 10 minutes. And that, folks, is how you make someone look strong while simultaneously completely protecting an opponent in a loss. Three freaking Kinshasas and a flying knee. Shinsuke came across looking amazing. Bronson came across looking really tough to put down. I got to admit, When they booked this match, I was really concerned because Nakamura has been getting rebuilt and I didn't want that progress to get stinted. Yet, Bronson Reed is huge and he's been getting built pretty strong as well. And they do need a big base, like a bigger dude for the ladder match. So I just assumed that Reed was gonna go over at Nakamura's expense. But the exact opposite happened. It was another easy good with high match quality, at least to me, a surprising winner that could have gone either way. And I just love that Shinsuke is being treated like a star again. It is so refreshing. He's energized by it. 
and the product is better because of it. Yeah, I said going in, this is the kind of matchup where like if you if you saw it hyped up for AEW, they'd make it like the main event of a dynamite or something like that. Like these <laughs> right. two guys at this level. Like it's it, it should be a huge deal. And it was just, you know, it's a qualifying match, so whatever. But they delivered. Like it was a great match. Both guys looked great. Bronson Reed can take a loss and Nakamura looks better and everything's good. Like that's exactly how you 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 lay that out. You give the guys the time to put on a match like that, and everybody gets better. Good stuff. Yeah. Now, before we get out of the money in the bank, let's just, there's a couple more kind of items that we can discuss regarding it. Uh, Matt Riddle backstage was excited to get a qualification chance next week. I don't think we learned his opponent. Uh, Gunther approached hoping Riddle would win the briefcase and cash it in on him because what's fun to Gunther is beating and humiliating Riddle. This was good other than the insinuation that money in the bank should again be cashed in on a mid-card title. Let's hope that was a one-off and never again happens for circumstantial reasons like it did a year ago. I'm pretty sure Riddle is going to lose and ultimately challenge Gunther for the title anyway. That's going to be a big match at Money in the Bank if they do it. He really shouldn't lose unless there's interference, but maybe that's what happens. Maybe Imperium interferes, Riddle doesn't win, and then he challenges Gunther. Yeah. Well, I I liked it. It's a good matchup. I don't think Riddle's going to be the guy to take the title off of him. No. But uh, no, it was good. The first Money in the Bank qualifiers were announced for SmackDown. No grades here, of course. Uh, Montez Ford and LA Knight are in one match, and then Zelina Vega and Lacey Evans are in another. Getting that first match, Chris, is super frustrating because I heard there's going to be six and not eight wrestlers in Money in the Bank, and that means no last chance qualifiers. Both Ford and Knight should really be in the ladder match from the SmackDown side. Though no matter what, I think you're going to agree, Knight needs a spot no matter what. Also, you wouldn't think that Lacey would beat Zelina given Vega recently got a push and she's been featured recently. I have a really bad feeling about that for some reason. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I don't want to jump on it too hard. We'll see. Who do you think should win between Ford and Knight? I, I'm going to say LA Knight um, because I think he's just more over right now. I, I, I don't really, it's a tough one. Like, you're right. Like, this is that's what the last chance is for. You put on a great qualifier, and then the other guy makes it in anyway. Um, I'd give it to LA Knight because I think he should be in that spot unless you're taking – he's on what, SmackDown? Unless you want to give him the U.S. title, but that doesn't appear to be happening. So they've really got – we'll get into LA Knight in a minute, but, like, he's got momentum right now. Yeah. Don't keep putting this off. If he's going to be in this, like, do something with him. And if you're not actively building Ford as a single star and you're not saying like, this is the time we're making the run with Montez, then he can lose and Knight needs the win anyway. So I do believe Knight will win that. And and he should, it would make more sense. We're also next week getting Becky against Sonya and Natalia against Zoe on Raw. I have a weird feeling Stark is going to cost Lynch. Lynch, eh, I have a weird feeling that Stark is going to cost Lynch her match and then Becky will come back and cost Zoe her match, that way they fight each other on Money in the Bank or maybe on TV rather than being in the ladder match. I hope I'm wrong, though, because they're big names. And if you look at the rest of the Raw roster, there's not really a lot of women that you'd kind of want to be in that match. Like Sonya and Natty, no disrespect to either of them. I don't really want them in a Money in the Bank ladder match. You have Raquel Rodriguez, Nikki Cross, Candice LeRae, uh, Piper Niven. I mean, there's a lot of other women I would much rather be in that spot than them. Yes, I, I agree. It's we kind of get these every year. It's 
It is what it is. All right, uh, let's go to the United States Championship. It was a match on SmackDown. Austin Theory against Sheamus. Sheamus had an Irish curse, but Theory escaped Avalanche White Noise, countering with a spin-out powerbomb. Sheamus got not 10, but 25 beats and had the crowd really hyped, but pretty deadly ran out of the crowd to attack the brawling brutes at ringside. Sheamus, of course, got distracted trying to save them. That led to a roll-up with leverage using the tights as Theory retained the title by cheating. I didn't necessarily consider an interference finish coming into the match, but it did work to excuse the Sheamus loss. Clearly, they were not going to do a title change on a taped show. I'd still like to have seen Theory hit his finisher because this just felt overly and unnecessarily cheap unless they're going to go back to it, maybe even at Money in the Bank. And if they do, then Sheamus could beat Theory for the title. Then I'd be okay with it. The one curiosity is how a trio's feud with a tag team unless they somehow link up with Theory, which doesn't seem like a fit, but it was a good match and it was a good opener for SmackDown last Friday. Yeah, honestly, surprisingly good match for a taped SmackDown go-home type of thing. Um, The finish was what it was, kind of just rolled my eyes, but it made sense. And you're right, Theory not hitting the finisher. You're like, if he's going to get these wins, like make them like a little, like they just... Nothing makes him look strong. It's not working. Even, you know, the John Cena stuff, you know, he won by cheating. And it's just like, I don't know, man. He's everything about what he does as a heel seems completely cliche. And it just he doesn't stand out. And so we'll see. Maybe they go to maybe they go to Money in the Bank and Sheamus wins the U.S. title in London, which would be great. I know we we thought at one time maybe he wins the Intercontinental title there. The one title he hadn't won before. Sheamus, what he won the U.S. title at. He had it or won it at WrestleMania 37 in Tampa, I think. The match with Riddle, I don't know. So, um, yeah, it was fine. I'll give it a good, but I didn't love it. Uh, LA Knight, wait, I thought you said you did love it. You said it was a great match. It was a good match. I I didn't love, like, the result. The match was fine. It it was better than I thought. I'm giving it a good, but I wasn't like, oh, man, this is, like, great. Gotcha. Uh, LA Knight fought Rick Boogs. Uh, Knight got piped in booze for his entrance as WWE continues to force him that way, despite fans clearly cheering him. The Street Profits came out for commentary. Boogs dropped Knight on the announce table. Fans chanted, yeah, at every single strike for a period of the match. Uh, Boogs hit the gut wrench toss, but Knight raked his eyes on a pump handle and hit blunt force trauma for the win. Knight then cut a promo on the Profits after the bell, saying they don't want the smoke. They're going to get smoked. Then the crowd went right with him, doing his whole catchphrase pretty loud to end the segment. This was exactly what it needed to be. In fact, it somewhat served as a reintroduction to him because when's the last time we've seen him just get in the ring, have a decent length match and win over real competition. The only negative Mm -hmm. was the absolutely ridiculous piped in booze when the crowd clearly feels otherwise. You can still book him as a heel and let the crowd cheer him. It's fine. You don't have to pipe in booze to say, This guy is a heel. You need to boo him. Let the crowd cheer. He can still be a bad guy. So that was unnecessary. But otherwise, this was good. We got a nice match and a nice promo. Definitely good. Agree on all those points. And the the, the piped in booze was extremely annoying. But the end of that, when he walks over to the Street Profits and gets on the mic and just starts talking some more trash and saying everybody knows it's la night yeah the crowd is all in on like that was loud that's one of the biggest like reactions to his catchphrases that he's ever gotten and it felt huge and he 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 was a heel kind of but he just felt 
tough. He felt like a big deal. And the Street Profits were kind of like, whoa. Like when he did that to, to, to trash talk two guys like that, and to show no fear, to just walk up to them like that. I just thought that was freaking awesome, man. This guy, again, is so over with what he's doing. And I really don't hope they don't drop the ball on this. And to clarify, you know, your LA Knight position, you didn't like him as a heel in NXT, but when he turned face, it worked. Yeah. And that's kind of the spot where they are right now, where it's like you could just turn and face and go all in on it right now and everybody would be behind it, but they don't want to do it. I think so. It's one of the reasons weird spot. I think one of the reasons they don't want to do it is there's a dearth of heels right now, really on both shows, like top level heels. So they want to build him into that. And that's okay. When LA Knight was a heel in NXT, you have to remember it was a different crowd than what it was on the main roster. Him as a heel on the Mm. main roster for me is working. I'm 100% okay if they use him as a heel. And look, we've talked for a long time about the Street Profits and Bianca Belair needing to turn heel. Well, you know what you can do? You can run this feud and do a double switch where people cheer LA Knight so much that they start booing the Street Profits, they turn heel, he turns face, and then you get exactly what you want anyway, or at least what we want. So there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. I don't have a problem, again, him being booked as a heel. My problem is the piped in booze. You don't need to force the fact. Book him as a heel. If the fans cheer, the fans cheer. Just go with it. We had JD McDonough against Dolph Ziggler on Raw. JD was vicious at the bell. It seemed like he hit his devil inside finisher like 30 seconds into this match, but commentary didn't call it or refer to it. Then he threw Ziggler outside, beat his ass on the commentary table and into the steel steps for a double count out. It ended with McDonough stomping Ziggler's head on the steps and then like stepping on his head and grinding it into the steps after that. He got some booze, but man, for me, this was massively disappointing. We waited two weeks for them to go back to this. And then when they finally did, WWE didn't air any of the footage to remind viewers of the attack. JD is an incredible wrestler. Ziggler is obviously great in the ring as well. Yet they didn't let McDonough do what he does to actually get over. All they did was repeat what happened two weeks ago more than anything else. I thought this was straight up bad. Look, when you have two wrestlers in a wrestling ring, just let them freaking wrestle. We're wrestlers in a wrestling ring. Let's just freaking wrestle. Yeah, I, I think that first McDonough thing a few weeks ago was one of the episodes that, that I missed. So like, it just kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. And also like Ziggler's not a baby face. Or at least not like, really. Last thing we yeah. saw him was he was feuding with Mustafa Ali, but he was kind of the heel in that. So like Ziggler's an accomplished dude. What 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 you what you use Dolph Ziggler for is he makes you look good in wrestling because he sells, and then you can beat him and say I beat a former world champion. That's what you use Dolph Ziggler for, not this. So I, I'm giving that a bad. Just based on the on the direction, it was a very strange way to go about it. And like they can go back to it next week and have a 12 minute match and JD can get over. I'm not saying that that can't happen, but it was unnecessary to do this here. Just don't use them on the show and save it for that if that's what you're going to do and give another match more time. I just I hate when they kind of do stuff like that. It's really frustrating. Cameron Grimes fought Ashanti via Adonis on SmackDown. Grimes got a taped promo where he said the catchphrase again. He had about like half of a running shooting star press and then one after a few minutes with the cave in. Baron Corbin briefly attacked on the ramp after the bell. 
Just like a normal building block match for a new wrestler. As always, I wish it got more time so they could showcase their respective talents. But unlike the JD McDonough match, at least it got to wrestle and get a win. So a provisional good because there really wasn't anything wrong with it. Yeah, it's a light good. It was fine. I did chuckle that commentary referred to him as uh, sneaky athletic, which I just, it's always a great comment for a small white guy. He's the Wes Welker. Yeah, he's the Wes Welker of WWE now. Yeah. A real Wes Walker type there. Um, but yeah, it was fine. Look, it's it's very low card stuff. It was harmless. It was what it was. Uh, Indu Sher fought jobbers on Raw. This was obviously a squash with Veer doing a crotch chop standing on the second turnbuckle. Why? Maybe because Veer was coming. I don't know. Uh, before an assisted falling elbow drop um, to end the match. Jinder Mahal appeared to be fully in a managerial role. He had a stern face the entire time. No expression. You know, one should not expect that much from a squash, but this was straight up bad. Like, Indusher did not show anything unique or impressive. We have seen that Veer is athletic. We have seen that Sangha is strong, but we got neither of those here. It was not even a showcase squash. It was just, here's two big dudes lumbering around, beating up on smaller dudes. It was a total waste of time. Yes, um, waste of time. I like the, I like the look. But yeah, you didn't really show off what you want to show off with them. This is there. I don't I don't I think hit row is still on SmackDown, right? They are. Yeah. SmackDown. They, yeah. Like th- that's the type of team that you use in these situations. Maximum L like models. You, get, you use. Yeah. Or you just you oh look what they did to top dollar. Look how strong they are. Like that's what a team like hit row is for. And so like when you know they expanded the roster a bit to kind of get away from some of that stuff. But then to go back to jobbers, jobbers versus big man is never going to look cool unless you're like lifting up three guys at one time. That's like the only time it works. They could have. It's a bad. There's some of those NXT free agents. They could have used Vaughn Wagner and Zion Quinn in this spot. There's so many people they could have used to make them look good. It just, it was so bad. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a bad, not that it can't be fixed or anything, but just for this, for this week. Yeah. And then lastly, from a grading perspective, uh, Candice LeRae got her first vignette explaining that she wears wings because they represent fairies and she believes fairy tales are real. Hence the fact that her life is great now with Johnny Gargano and Quill. Now she's married and they're fully involved in wrestling. It showed the video package that went along with it, showed her doing some great wrestling moves spliced with like Johnny and Quill. But it was weird. Like she was the poison pixie. Now she's what into fairies? Like maybe the idea is to make her a character for kids because she has a kid and they're factoring that into the story. But I just cannot understand why they are presenting her this way and they're not presenting her more seriously. Plus, they called up Indy Hartwell. They had the way segment a couple weeks ago, even though they didn't call them the way. But they didn't do anything with Indy and Candice here where they are a natural women's tag team because guess what? They were a women's tag team in NXT. This was like a Disney Channel video package. Like maybe there's a surprise twist to it, but for now I have to give it a bad. I was so disillusioned by what they did here. I saw people excited that Candice actually was getting presented. And we've talked on the show, they kind of just put her on TV and didn't tell us anything about her. But this isn't what I want to know about her. So like it was just the worst version of what they could have done with this. See, I I disagree. It, it okay. was exactly that. It was she had been up here for months and we didn't know literally anything about her. So they gave us something. Is it corny as hell? Yes. Could could it be something better? Yes. But I was I'm giving this a, a light good okay. because it was something 
It was a vignette to tell us who a person is. It's, it's, I'll always, almost always give that a good as opposed to just Veer's coming. Oh, look at this person do wrestling moves. They're coming. <laughs> tell me who you are. And even if even if it's boring, it's something. And so I I'm, I, I was fine with it. Okay. So I gave it a like good. Okay, now no grade here, but Alba Fire and Isla Dawn got a very short video package that didn't really say much of anything on SmackDown. For some reason, WWE is refusing to call them Unholy Union, which has never been established as an official tag team name, but obviously works really well for their gimmick. We also got the same video package for Caden Carter and Katana Chance on Raw that we already saw a couple weeks ago, I believe the week after that they were drafted. It just would have been nice to get them in a taped promo or a second version of the video package. I'm glad they're promoting the women's tag teams and they're doing it with the titles being reestablished. That's all positive. I was just kind of frustrated that these weren't better. Yes. And it's kind of, it's kind of, again, a little bit different where the previous one was like telling us who they are. This was a little bit different. It was, it was fine. It was whatever. We need more tag teams. It'll, it'll, it'll be good, but hopefully not yet. Now, before we wrap up after going over these last couple topics here, it just seems clear to me that WWE called up too many people at once. Like we said it at the time of the draft, there were 17 superstars from NXT that were brought up, including a couple of those free agents. Despite Triple H hiring back and trying to establish a lot of people in those few months prior to the draft. And it's really creating like a log jam, specifically on Raw, on Raw way more than SmackDown when it comes to TV time. Like for example, we're not getting much of anything from folks who are starting to get semi-regular TV time, like Johnny Gargano, Dexter Loomis, Riddick Moss, Emma, Piper Niven, Nikki Cross, Tegan Knox for a period of time. They just kind of forced on Monday night McDonough and Indusher into the episode and did nothing with them. And there's just this huge like lower mid-card group of people where it's almost like they can't decide who to feature. What you need to do is give someone like a three-week run with a storyline, then flip to someone else and interchange them. So you set aside certain time on each TV show to do this, but you are consistent about it. It's not one person's on one week, then one person's on the next, and they don't really work together. I want more consistency here. And it's just frustrating. I mean, Johnny Gargano was in a freaking... Um, what was it? The Elimination Chamber match, right? And mm -hmm. since then, he's... And now he was hurt, so, you know, understandable. But since then, he's basically done nothing. Meanwhile, Bronson Reed was also in that match, and he's on TV every single week. You have Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis. You show them backstage, kind of reuniting the way a couple weeks ago. We haven't seen them at all since. Riddick Moss was used for something. Was it a battle royal for the Intercontinental number one contendership? But they're not telling his story with Emma anymore. Piper Nivens disappeared. Nikki Cross... We see her hugging Candice LeRae one week and then gone for two weeks. Like, I'm just kind of frustrated with what they're doing here. Yeah, look, it's it's kind of the opposite. You know, a year or so ago, after they'd gone through so many cuts, there was just a lack of people. And then they went on a big hiring spree, rehiring spree, called a bunch of people up. And now they're kind of in that AEW spot where is the roster too bloated? To me, that's a good problem to have as opposed to the other one, because at least you've got more people getting paid. I'm fine with, you know, some people you have them for a bit and then you don't need them. So they're not on TV. But I think you just you need to determine who are your five or ten people in each division that you're going to focus for mm -hmm. a set period of time. And then just you pull people in and out of that as you need to, as opposed to every other week, you'll see this person or not. Like, it's fine for wrestlers to have you know, a month or two off while they just, so when you bring them back, it means something. So I think 
it is a bit of a log jam. And I think a lot of those divisions need to kind of be not ranked, but just like kind of determined if like, all right, who are going to be our IC title people? Who are going to be our world heavyweight title people? And maybe that's what Money in the Bank is. You're you're establishing that by getting those people involved. So you've kind of got the qualifiers going on on top of that. So it's a, it's a lot going on. It is. Now, on the topic of people who are not currently on WWE television, you had an item that you wanted to uh, bring up, right? Yeah, uh, this morning I saw the news that Alexa Bliss is pregnant with her husband, uh, Ryan Cabrera. So congratulations to them. Quite a quite a weekend for wrestling pregnancies with Tay Mello and uh, Sammy Guevara as well. So congratulations to Alexa Bliss and best wishes for, for them. Also, Carmella is yeah. pregnant as well. A couple weeks so, ago. Yeah. By the way, three cool. congrats to everybody. Three babies that have all basically been created either directly or tangentially through wrestling. Because Ryan Cabrera is the Mrs. friend. So that's how Alexa Bliss <laughs> yeah, met yeah. him. Uh, obviously, yeah. Corey Graves and Carmella are together because of WWE. And Sammy met Ty Mello in AEW. So it's crazy, right? Like all these wrestling babies. We just talked about Quill. Obviously, they they their relationship, Donnie and Candice, much longer term before they were even in WWE. Nevertheless, congratulations to Alexa. Certainly explains why she hasn't been on television. And let's not forget, not having Alexa and Carmella, those are two key mid-card women for WWE. So now they have this opportunity to truly elevate some of these other women. And I hope that is what happens uh, sooner than later. Chris, we are out of the good, the bad, and the ugly, which leaves us with our wrap-up segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, The Last Word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have this popping in a second. That's why we always say the best cut lasts to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, we have been getting a really good amount of these last word questions, and I apologize if we don't get to them, you know, every single week, the ones that you guys send in. But the segment is really supposed to be the last word. So it's one per week. And if we get five in a week, I can only really pick one, right? Or sometimes I do too, but we only do it on one show. So please be patient. I keep a list of them, uh, but feel free to send in new ones via DM. You can tweet us. You can email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com. We love the questions and we love doing this segment. So here is today's last word. Jordan B DM'd us on Twitter. What are your top five fast food burger chains in order? Now, I followed up with Jordan because I wanted to get his definition of fast food. That way we could answer and Chris and you and I could be on the same page. He clarified he's not talking about fast casual like a Shake Shack or a Five Guys, but simply fast food. I'll admit that having him specifying burger chains makes this difficult because a lot of my favorite fast food places like Chick-fil-A, don't serve burgers. Also, at many of these places on my list, Chris, I don't necessarily order the burger as my primary item. So I'll go first. I'll give you a little bit of time to think. These are my top five. Are we going, are we going, are we going five to one? Are we uh, going back and forth or you go five to one? Uh, I'll go one. I'll, let's do one to five. I'll go one to five, then you go one to five. Does that make sense? I, I Yes, I would say count down to up. It's more dramatic. Okay, we can count down to up. Okay, that's fine. Um, so here are my five in opposite order, but I need to add an important caveat. Okay. I don't travel as much as Chris does. And there are five major burger chains that I've never eaten at in and out white castle, Carl's jr. Slash Hardee's Jack in the box. And apparently dairy queen is considered one as well. I've had ice cream there, but I've never had food. So I simply cannot rank any of those 
chains when I haven't eaten there. So when you hear my list, you need to take that into account that I'm only ranking ones that I've actually eaten at. I do assume that White Castle would be in my top five because I like the style of burger and I like the frozen ones you can get at the grocer. And I do like Crystal enough, but I've never had the real deal, so I can't put it there. And the way I decided this was not based on who had the best burger, but rather if all the places were next to each other, where would I go to eat? So number five on my list is Sonic. It comes in last purely because of the variety of food and drinks. One of the few places of any kind that you can get a real vanilla Coke with the syrup, not the bullshit from like the Coke everywhere machine. But almost every time I go to Sonic for food, I regret it. Number four, Burger King. Uh, The Rodeo Burger was my go-to in college. I love that they have onion rings, mozzarella sticks, and Coke Ices. I liked the new chicken they came out with a year ago or whatever, but they changed it for some reason. I just never really think to go there. Number three is McDonald's. Straight up consistency and familiarity, plus the best burger chain fries. They got rid of the baked apple pie, which sucks, but the breakfast menu is also really strong. They can just never get chicken right. One time they had a Southern chicken sandwich that was pretty good, but outside of that, they never get chicken right, and that is a huge downer. Number two, Wendy's. The burgers are fresh. Nothing is bad. The chicken is really good. The baked potato is sneaky clutch. They don't get enough credit for it, and the Frosties are obviously there. I've just never liked any version of their fries ever, and that's a huge downer. And number one on my list is Culver's. The burgers are very good. They're not my favorite. The cheese curds are incredible, and they have an extensive menu, fish sandwich, chicken, fries, onion rings, whole bunch of stuff that I like. There's so many options, and none of them are bad. So Culver's is number one on my list. It's a good list. My my list is a is a little more regionalized just because of where I am. Texas right. is a great place to live for fast food because we have basically everything. Texas and Ohio um, have everything. Yeah. What, what I, honorable mention, they're good. I just don't have them enough. And they're actually two of the ones that are not really around here much. Uh, Crystal mm-hmm. and Culver's. Okay. Uh, there's like one Culver's near me, but it's pretty far. So it's not in my rotation. So I, I didn't want to include that. My my list number five Sonic as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, funny! Uh, That's wide funny. variety, of, wide variety of stuff. You, you said last, but I wouldn't even say last. Five is pretty good. Well, no, five, five yeah, is, five is on my list. Good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I know everybody associates Whataburger with Texas, but honestly, Sonic is everywhere, and so is Dairy Queen. Those are actually the real rural Texas Interesting. places. Number four, number four, McDonald's. You laid it out. Old, reliable, still very good. Um, every everything you get there is pretty solid. Number three is Whataburger, which is in Texas, but is starting to kind of show up in some other places as well. Uh, being in Texas and not putting that as number one, I know is a yeah uh, a stain on you might my get some record. Yeah. The burgers are terrific. Burgers are great. The fries are just generally a bit weak, um, and, and and that's what pulls it back for me. Number two, Wendy's. Um, does not get enough love for the burgers as it should. They're, They're fresh. really, really good. They're good, yeah. Yes, you had it at number two as well. And the number one is In-N-Out okay. for me. Um, they have those in Texas. They're all over Dallas, even though I know it's a California thing. Uh, the secret with In-N-Out, the burgers are, are the best part. The fries are a little bit weak, but it's the bun. Mm. The bun of In-N-Out burgers is the perfect amount of crispiness. They nail it every single time. And that's why if these places were all up next to each other and I was going to pick one, 
that's where I would go. Um, so in and out my number one. So I thought I was going to be able to like tear apart your list, but that's a damn good list. I think we both were very, we had very similar mindsets based on the places that we've actually gone. Have you had Carl's Jr. Hardee's? Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, actually, literally had it like two, three weeks ago. Um, it's solid. It's a bit, at least in my experience, it's more on the crunchier side. Mm-hmm. If uh, if you like that, as opposed to McDonald's, which is always very soft. Um, and, and to the point, to the point, like you said, this is not ranking of the best burgers. It, it it's, it's the places you, you, right. You have to include everything. If we were just doing burgers, I might put Shake Shack number one. But well, Shake Shack's um, not a fast it's, food. It's not. That's a Shake Shack's that, elim- right. That's a separate discussion. Yeah. We're not just doing burgers, so it, it, it's that as well. But uh, yeah, no, this was a fun list. So I, have a, I do have a couple other things to note. So I like Whataburger a lot, but I've only been there twice. Uh, both times when I was young, I haven't been there probably in six years. They only have them in North Florida and like Georgia and maybe some other areas. Right. So I'm never around them. I can't rank them because I've only had a burger and I've only had it two times. I don't know about the rest of the menu. Checkers used to be, now I'm talking like 15 years ago, probably easily my number one or two on my list. They have absolutely torpedoed off the side of a cliff. The the food has gone all the way downhill. It's tiny. The spicy chicken they used to have became absolute dog shit. Now that said, their fries are absolutely incredible. Uh, Crystal, you mentioned I have had that numerous times, but it's just the small burgers and like, yeah, they have chicken and other stuff, but like, it's not that great. And therefore I do happen to believe I'd really like White Castle because it has that variety in addition to the style of burgers that I kind of like. Um, and yeah, like I, I associate, I associate Crystal with my brother literally texted me the other day about this. We, we associate Crystal with WrestleMania 34 in new Orleans because there is one there on bourbon street. And we went there like two or three times uh, the week we were there. Why so, would you uh, go, hold on, and, and, hold on. You're in new Orleans. We don't have it. We don't have it here. I don't give a shit. You're in new Orleans. One of the top, what three food cities in the entire country. And you had crystal, not just once, but multiple times. We were there for like a week. We ate at a lot of different places. Come on. I, I don't think I could ever go to a single fast food place in a city like New Orleans. I don't think I could even like allow myself. That's if it's a, if it's one you don't have, we don't have crystal here. So okay, okay, as fair enough. As everything else, fair enough. If if you don't have it and you want to try yeah. it, I'll, I'll take that. Have you ever? And lastly, because we I think we both didn't really talk about this at all. Have you ever had Jack in the Box? Yes, we do have that here. When I lived in Arlington, there were a lot of them. It's okay. real solid. I just haven't had it in a long time because there's not one up where I live now. Yeah, I think the only one out of all the ones I haven't had that I actually badly want to try is White Castle. They opened up the first one ever in Florida in Orlando. And last time I went to Orlando, I just forgot it was there. So I White Castle will happen soon, um, but there's not a Carl's Jr. or Hardee's anywhere near me. I think it's like the closest one is like five, six, seven hours away in and out. Not even close. Texas is probably the closest one. Jack in the Box, I have no idea where those even exist. There are Dairy Queens around here, but I just can't ever justify like going to Dairy Queen and getting food. So. It's, just, it's better food than you would expect. Dairy Queen is a huge thing in Texas for some reason. Are they like fresh? They're like cooking it. things fresh? It's, and... it's it's pretty good, yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll give it a shot. The only one not by good me. Enough to make my, not good I, I don't do it enough, but it's it not good enough to be in my top five, but uh, it, it is worth a try. I know there's different versions of Dairy Queens. The only ones in South Florida are like little ones that are in shopping centers that are mostly ice cream places. And maybe they do have food, but 
they're not like drive through Dairy Queens like I've seen pictures of that I know exist yeah. in other parts of the country. Literally, literally, like there's a Dairy Queen app, and then there's a separate Dairy Queen Texas app. Oh, really? Like they have their own whole separate thing. It's actually pretty crazy. Yeah, and it's not based here or anything, but Dairy Queens are huge. They're just they're literally every single town so has this one. That's like one of my places. problems. So it's with a big like, thing in Texas. That's like one of my problems with traveling, which is what I criticized you for with New Orleans. It's like if I go to Texas, which I do want to get over there at some point, I kind of just want to eat like brisket and Mexican food for two weeks. I don't. I don't really want to go to like Dairy Queen one day. You know what I mean? Even though it makes sense because it's a place that I don't really have here to the same degree. Mm -hmm. So depends how much time you have, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. That was the last word for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, which means we are now wrapping up the entire show. I appreciate all of you listening. Once again, allow me to remind you on the way out that this podcast is all about Defy. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And yes, if you leave those reviews, as you heard earlier, we will read them live right here on the show. Don't forget. I happen to love the number five. Become an official getting overhead for $5 a month. Get bonus audio, news posts, and more over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Also more important than that, you help support the show with your subscription. And yeah, that's about it on the way out. Let me remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, analysis. You can DM us. You can ask us questions. We will read them right here on the show. Chris, I appreciate you joining. We just completed a whirlwind of podcasting with those three big shows. We will be back on Thursday with the next AEW and NXT show. Second looks both from Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground. And I do want to stress, if you have not watched NXT Battleground, it is the best NXT premium live event since the end of the Black and Gold brand, since they got rid of me. It was really damn good. It's getting high praise. Check it out. I promise you will enjoy it, especially the Isla Dragunov against Dijak match. That is it for today, though. On the way out, the Silver King is, as always, going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.